Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Pre-Order Bonus Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Warren, and I'm joined, as always, by Jacob Price. Jake, it's June 21st, 2023, and we just walked out of, several hours ago, the Nintendo Direct. So, Summer Games Fest, mm-hmm. the showcases did not stop. We got another one from Nintendo. I don't, we don't need to talk about everything here. Let's just talk about the two big, beefy, really quick highlights. Super Mario RPG Remake coming in November. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy hype moment, I thought. I, I played that game as a young kid and thought it was amazing. Super excited for that one. And in October, a brand new 2D Mario game that looks wild coming out no less than the same day as Spider-Man two this year is ridiculous i mean i guess they had only known maybe for two weeks when spider-man 2 was coming out but isn't that enough time to be like you know what let's push back our release date or they like no we're mario mario's mario's bigger than spider-man will ever be and they're just like screw it october 20th i honestly think if i'm insomniac i am going oh (laughs) (laughs) i mean because like look 2d mario i mean and this and it looks crazy i mean it looks like they kind of went crazy with it i mean it looks wild yeah elephant mario anyone i mean come on that looks awesome the animation in that trailer alone was like top tier like so top tier it's everything was just oh yeah um yeah but and in the bar, the Super Mario, the Mario RPG remake is in November. So yeah. this year just never stops. It's it's this is just a ridiculous year for video games. I was just thinking about my big dilemma is you look at so in other news they just moved Immortals of Avium, which is this new EA IP. We've talked about it a little bit. What an unfortunate push to August twenty second, dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So they gave it an extra month, right, for PC optimization, I believe, was the cited case, which, you know what, that has been a big um, point of contention uh, surrounding, what, the Last of Us 1, uh, Last of Us Part 1 port, the uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor PC version, and so um, good for them for trying to clean up some stuff before, before anything else happens, but, dude, yeah, why September? I mean... Uh- Go ahead. I mean, I, mean I, w- I would love to know who's making those decisions and why and how. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense. Like, why don't you push to January or December or even November? November would even be better. Yeah. And then you're like right in the holiday window. You can use your marketing budget better. Why do you... It gives you even more time to polish. It doesn't make sense to me. You're sitting up against Jake. Look at this. Armored Core 6, August 25th. Yeah. Sea of Stars, August 29th. Baldur's Gate 3, August 31st. And then the next day is Starfield Early Access. I don't know. Maybe you could beat Immortals of AVM in two or three days. And they're like, you know what? Gamers, will they'll be able to beat this. Or they really... I mean... They really must believe that there's not a whole lot of overlap right in terms of the demographics of who's interested in those games i mean i guess the thing is though is starfield i feel like starfield is a monster so i think you could make that argument boulders gate 3 that's niche that's pc that's you know i i mean i feel i also feel terror i even feel bad for boulders gate 3 to be honest sitting up against starfield which is going to be a monster yeah, uh, which is going to hurt the sales of Baldur's Gate Three, which I expect to be an incredible game. So we'll see, we'll see how much Starfield fulfills expectations. Maybe if it falls short a little bit, it gives BG Three a chance to kind of shine through. I expect Baldur's Gate to be highly reviewed and highly touted, and uh, but but dude, that's so tough, man. Baldur's Gate Three and Starfield the next day, I can't even. That's a tough one for me because I I am really looking forward to Baldur's Gate, but it is going to be tough to have Starfield sitting there on yeah. Game Pass and not be like, okay, I got to go play this. And then what are you going to do? You're going to get sucked into one. I guess one just has to sit on the shelf for a while. Yeah, I think there's no way around that, right? Uh, 
it's yeah, that week is awful. And then uh, now what is it? The week from like October 13th through 20th is another one with a bunch of heavy hitters. Those are just insane weeks. Alan Wake 2, Sonic, uh, the new Sonic game. Now you have a new Mario game. Now you have Spider-Man 2. And there's like three other games. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so, a great, it's a very good problem to have. We're sitting here complaining. Obviously, it's a good problem to have. Oh, no. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. There's a lot going on. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's, it isn't, it's kind of a weird conundrum to think about. Like, how do you manage for somebody if you're really into video games like us and you play a lot of different genres it's so funny to sit and i i, I watch some streamers sometimes some like first person shooter stream i just have it up you know whatever yeah, just yeah. i do that too just just got to play in the background and these first person shooter streamers are like there's nothing to play man there's no games <laughs> dude you got to find that <laughs> and i'm sitting here being like dude you have got to poke your head above the hole in your inside because there are literally <laughs> so many games it's a joke dude they're they're sniper camping in a hole that's why they can't see anything right they're looking down one specific lane they've got their sights lined up for one very specific headshot and that's it i mean no there's not a new battle royale and there's no not even one coming there's x defiant and there's the finals which are both arena shooters and maybe halo will do a battle royale someday but yeah if you're a first person shooter player you are bored out of your freaking mind. But man, <laughs> if you're a variety streamer, you are living it up. Dude, you're eating You good. literally have anything you could ever want. You're eating really good. Yeah, it's wild. Um but yeah, I would say the the Nintendo Direct was amazing. Lots of super cool things in there. Um you mentioned the two ones that I'm probably most excited for, which would be Super Mario RPG remake and then the new uh Super Mario Bros Wonder. Uh yeah, I Obviously, there's a lot of other good things in there. My kids are psyched out of their mind for Pikmin 4, to be honest. <laughs> are they really? That's awesome. Yeah, dude. So they loved Tinykin. They've beaten Tinykin, I think, six times at this point. And they're like, wait, this game is like Tinykin? Dad, can we, it's like can a we get this game? It's like a Tinykin with a Nintendo budget? Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're really <laughs> excited. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. We're going to get into our episode on Cassette Beasts. I wanted to mention just before we hop into the analysis of that, um obviously a lot has been going on um cameron and i we have a really full slate of games that we're trying to cover we actually asked our discord uh what things they would like us to cover and the one episode that they wanted us to talk about was how we manage our backlog uh which is funny because oh yeah yeah because with all of these games coming out um as podcasters cameron and i have to make lots of decisions about how we're going to use our time we both work full-time we both have families so uh we don't sleep. That's kind of the solution. But <laughs> but if you're like us and uh, you like lots of different games and you're interested in what's coming out, uh, be on the lookout, uh, follow, subscribe to the podcast just because that episode is coming soon. So that's my quick pitch for that. Uh, yeah, we will definitely do that. I've been thinking about that a lot. And especially with, I mean, that slate that I just said, that's my, that's my, like, I'm stressed out because I, all these titles look, and I actually played the Sea of Stars demo, mm, Jake. Yeah. Uh, we're in for a treat with that oh, one yeah. for sure. But it's just a shame because it's sitting up against two juggernauts. Uh, but we'll get to it, right? Like, we'll get to it. We'll play it. I feel concerned for how does this impact the financial you know, the sales of those games, right? Yeah. You hope that it's not like a deep impact, but you just don't know. Maybe people are buying everything. You know that they're not though. And so you just wonder, right? Like if Starfield takes off, does that, that takes, does that take all the market share? I, I mean, um, I don't know, but I remember, you know, obviously in the Xbox, in the Xbox showcase, they, they have the new series X, the all black one. That's 50 bucks more and it has a terabyte worth of storage that's coming out the same day that the Starfield beta or early access opens on September 1st. I'm thinking, uh, I mean, obviously Microsoft knows business better than me, but, and they've been reporting that the Series S is doing very well for them. So I'm kind of like, Starfield is going to sell just buckets of Series S's. And um, I think Starfield obviously will push Game Pass subscriptions, but I think they're going to be seeing a lot more bonus there. Um, obviously I think PS5 I've seen 
I did it the, the like, was it the Insomniac or Sony website crashed with the amount of people trying to get the collector's edition of Spider-Man 2. I just think we're going to see a ton of hardware being pushed this fall as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this fall will be ridiculous. If if Starfield even breaks like an 82, 83, I mean, it will sell gobs. It will sell so much, <laughs> so many copies this, this holiday. Yeah. I mean, it will be... It's just a dream game. I think it's a dream game for so many people. Yep. For so many people, and they think yep. of like you think of like what is a video game that I want to play, and then you show them that, and it's like, yeah, that's it, right, right yep. there. I want to be like a space, like a guy living a different life in like a space world. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so I think that Starfield, um, when it launches, is going to push a ton of Series S's, a, a bunch of Game Pass subscriptions. Obviously, Microsoft, what they're going to do for the fall is just have a discounted bundle, some Starfield and Series X, you know, for like, oh my for, I can't even think of what the Black Friday deal is, but you know, it's going to be like Starfield, three months of Game Pass and a Series X for like some stupid amount of money, like 300 bucks, 350 or whatever. And do they not have a Starfield edition console? They got to, right? That's got to like be comes with that controller. That has got to be a fall, like a, a Black Friday deal. It, it, it has to be sitting out. Yeah, it has that, to. That's be. the like biggest ha- I, miss if they don't have it. I bought the controller. It was too good looking. I had. To oh, buy it's fantastic! It. It's so cool. Yeah, it's it's like the coolest controller I've ever seen. I was like, you know what? I never buy these collectors things. I'm buying this. I never so. do either. And the Starfield one um, sold out before I can grab it. <laughs> that was what i was afraid of i was like i gotta buy this yeah, right and now. it's gone i snoozed and i lost. well jake enough about that let's dig right in to uh or the topic of today's show which is cassette beast from bitten studios and just as a reminder to everybody we played this game now we're ready to do our analysis on this episode but you can scroll back a few weeks in our episodes and you will find one of our game maker series where we interviewed the creator of cassette beast jay bayless one of my favorites of the interviews that we've done uh honestly talking mm-hmm. about monster hunter games and what it means to make a game in that genre and how to differentiate uh so go check that out uh but we're gonna break we're gonna break down cassette beast right now jake mm-hmm. how are we gonna do it uh we are the since this isn't a classic episode based on a specific game we have four categories to break this one down first one is the narrative we're talking about storytelling in the game what kind of story themes and messages are being delivered and how secondly we'll be talking about mechanics what are those details of the game what does the gameplay actually feel like what are the systems that you interact with Third, we will be discussing the gameplay loop. So what are the over, you know, the the bigger patterns baked within the game to get you to come back the way that you sort of play those sort of cycles, patterns in the game. And then finally, impact on the industry where we get a little speculative and we talk about, okay, this game's come out. Like, is it going to leave awake? Are people looking at this game? How do we think people will be looking at this game and talking about it in the future? Um, yeah, so something I want to mention though, just cause Cameron brought up the, the game maker series interview where we spoke with Jay Bayless, one of two main, uh, I think that there's uh bitten studios, really two people, him and, and, and Tom. And yeah, that interview was fantastic. Please go back and listen to it. I thought it was remarkable. The grasp that Jay has on indie market, like the indie game market and also creating, a game within a specific genre. Now, speaking with Jay, and I, this is going to tie us into a conversation on narrative. Um, he, it was funny because everybody is talking about cassette beasts like a Pokemon, like like a monster catcher, and absolutely that's one of the mechanics. But it's funny because the way that Jay was talking about cassette beasts was as a game that is really more of a classic RPG than it is like a monster catcher which I thought was really fascinating. And that shaped the way that I was playing the game. And uh, something that he said was that kind of that approach allowed for him and Tom and everybody else that they worked with to be a little more flexible with the narrative and to really go hard on the narrative, right? By avoiding creating a Pokemon clone, they went really hard on the narrative. And man, I gotta say... (laughs) I'm not that surprised that this narrative goes the direction that it does because it goes pretty wild and gets pretty meta. 
Um, if you haven't played Bitten Studio's other game, Lena's Inception, this will come as a surprise to you. Um, I love sort of seeing the little Easter eggs and, and things in there for people like me who had played Lena's Inception and seeing this narrative. Um, it's it's wild. Like, And I'm talking about the like the main overarching narrative. Moment to moment, I think this game is super fantastic, and I love the way that characters are written and the way that the game grapples with friendships and just relationships broadly. Um, but I would say, like, and I really liked the main narrative, don't get me wrong, but I would also say that you've got to buckle up because this game is going to get pretty wacky. I think it all works. I think it's super fantastic. But if you are expecting just like a straightforward good versus evil, this is not going to be that game. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, Yeah, so, I mean, just, just getting into the basic description, you are a dude... And- you're gonna have to help me out on the narrative here, Jake, because I played I played several hours of this game, but I got super lost. <laughs> <laughs> like the beginning, I remember the beginning. So basically, you're a dude, or I think there's a character creator, so you can pick who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get you're transported to New World. Yes, is that the correct to New World from Earth, which is like I don't know, a different planet, different dimension, something along those lines. And you're there, and you're kind of you meet, uh, you meet uh, your first companion, which it, remind me her name, Jake, Kaylee. Kaylee, I was gonna say that. Yes, you meet Kaylee, which is your first companion, and then you kind of go out into the world, and you discover this dark entity, and then you figure out that there's this connection where okay, you got to pursue this dark entity across the world, and then that's gonna lead to you need to figure out basically how to get back home. Yeah. Uh, which is which is pretty much the gist of it. Yeah, that that really. Uh, I think my biggest my biggest takeaways from the narrative, uh, just like right off the top, is I think, I think to your point on talking about it's like super meta. Yeah, <laughs> it's very um, very relevant with like the themes that it brings up, like very current and relevant with like the themes that it talks about and the small stories across the game with the people that you interact with. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that was like the strongest piece was like just the little side conversations you have by the campfire with your companion, you know, you're talking about sort of like intimate issues of friendship and relationships. You're talking about like, um, there's this, there's a quest line with Kaylee that involves like that. She was part of a cult Mm -hmm. and it gets like, you know, it gets pretty deep where she talks about, yeah, she had some bad experiences and let's go figure that out and maybe go talk like track that thing down and kind of deal with that and confront that uh i thought all those were just super fantastic very adult themes right that you don't see in something like well i guess that's that's not necessarily true i think you see some of that in the pokemon games but i think they're able to do it in a much more in a much more kind of i don't know if adult is the right word but just in a mature way where the writing kind of resonates on a deeper level and you just feel it a lot more that's my biggest takeaways from this. Narrative. I think it was super well done. Yeah, I mean, the moment-to-moment conversations, the dialogue that you have with all the different NPCs, I think that stuff was really top-notch. And I really, really enjoyed the relationships that you could form. Um, the relationship with Kaylee was probably my favorite. That was like, like Cameron said, there are certain NPCs that can become like your companions. And they each have different goals as they're in New World. And there are companion quests. And you can complete them. And learn a lot more about these people and help them resolve things. And I think that is super wonderful. Like this game handles, I think, relationships and relationship building in a really remarkable way. And so I love those. Like Cameron, you said, those moment to moment details really stood out for me. Yeah, um, the game is, let's see, kind of taking this back to to the main narrative. Um, You have these dark entities, these archangels, and they're kind of like your big bosses through throughout the game and the idea is that if you take all of them down you'll find a way back home and what i really love about cassette beasts is that a bunch of this seems super wacky and a bunch of it is unexplained but they do it in such a way that as a player you quickly realize that that simply doesn't matter right like that's not the main theme of the game the main theme or point of the game is not to think of how is it that people can use old cassette players and suddenly transform into different beasts that they find around this island 
and nobody really cares. And what I love about the beginning of the game is like you talk to these NPCs and they're like, hey, we're in some like weird dimension. People from all different dimensions come here. And so it seems like we all really know each other, um, that we all come from the same planet and universe and we kind of do, but we kind of don't. And so you're just going to have to get used to those irregularities as you are here in New World. And uh, that so with the cassette tapes and stuff, they're like, listen, this is just a weird phenomenon that takes place in this where we live. And we we just all kind of go with it. Right. So a lot of that stuff is like unexplained. And I think that's done well. And I think that was the right decision with cassette beasts because it helps you focus on what I think is a really fascinating theme and one that is really uncommon in video games, which is, hey, we are thrown together and we have to form not just like of a new friendship, but a brand new society. How are things going to function here in New World with people who are coming from all across time and space with completely different ideas of how things should be run, how society should act, what is socially acceptable, what is not, and whatever their culture is, and all these people get thrown together. And as you can imagine, this causes lots of different ideas and conflicts and strife. And so New World, like this world that's created within Cassette Beasts, is just ripe for all these different really fascinating storylines. And I just found the the common theme in all of them to be is if you were thrust into a brand new society or you are making a society from scratch, how do you do that? That's tough. You have to deal with people and their opinions. And that's hard. And so hats off to them because I think that is a wild topic to take on. Um, One that fits very well to sort of science fiction genre and what cassette beast is doing but that was by far i think my favorite and i think probably the the most impressive part of cassette beast's narrative yeah one other thing that i i had to chuckle was uh there's a whole quest line in the game of um going into these houses and i can't even remember the exact (laughs) jake you have to remind me yeah are they undead like these people? <laughs> no, they're not. They're uh, like real. They're real estate agents, right? <laughs> they're real. The real estate developers. <laughs> they're, they're like real estate agents, and um, I. It's a super deep cut where you're taking. You're basically <laughs> going and taking down these people who are buying up all the property and then raising like it's like. And this is what I mean by the adults like narr- like yeah. these themes. They're so pro- like very real. Like that, that hit like pretty close to home. I was like, oh man, that's like, <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> very deep cut. That is one. I'm glad you brought this up because that's a beautiful example of just like people trying to form new societies when they come from different ideas and you have like these real estate agents, right? They're essentially, if you were going to go with the, the, the Pokemon comparison, the team rocket, they're sort of antagonists. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but they're like, Hey, in new world, they don't really have a monetary system. We can just like invent the notion of private property and we can get people to buy it and we can get filthy rich. <laughs> and it's just like, right. obviously there's, there's, you know, deep political criticism happening in this game, but I just, I'm with you, man. I like, I thought it was super funny because these people are portrayed as like soulless, right? They look like they're dead. They look like zombies and they're trying to sell you on the super half baked plan And uh, that whole thread line is like super, it's hypercritical of just like aggressive real estate in in capitalism, right? And it it was super fun to see. I mean, I just feel like you don't get to see that kind of perspective the way that it's presented in cassette be super often. Awesome job. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this type of game. I mean, it's a, it's like, it's a Pokemon like with these mature, it's like super jarring to have these super mature themes and these super like relevant kind of mature narrative pieces in there. It's very jarring, but in a good way. Yes. Right. In a very super refreshing way. Yeah. That was like, Oh man, like it's so nice to see like something that is actually interesting to read the dialogue where yes, I, I can't, I can't help but bring up Pokemon. Like, to be honest with you, I, the Pokemon, they, the stories never work for me. Yeah. They just don't. They're just, they're too kitty or they just don't have enough hook or they're just not that interesting. You just, you'd love that. So it's taking, you know, Bitten Studios, these guys, these two developers, right. To like Mm -hmm. take that genre forward in a super interesting way, which I think they accomplished here with, with, uh, in a really fantastic way. And with that, um, let's talk about the mechanics. 
Jake, this is this is a Monster Hunter game, right? It is. Um, <laughs> you hear the the question mark <laughs> in my voice. It is. It is. All right. Let's more definitive tone here. Uh, I mean, it, it's a Pokemon like in structure, right? It's obviously huge differences, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But this is very much like, hey, you want another one of those games? Mm-hmm. Here's a fantastic version of that for an adult. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the basic premise, right, is that you go around and you have different cassette tapes and you can record different monsters in the wild. Monsters have different typings. Um, some typings are going to have some advantages over others. They're going to have disadvantages versus others. And I think that basic structure, yeah, and you can level up. Um, well, it's a little different. It's you as a character level up because when you go into battle, you transform into any of these monsters. And so the monsters will have like more stars the more that you use them, which I believe is like a yeah. bond type system. But it's you, the character, that actually has the level number. So I really like that because it meant that like you could pretty much use any monster and it's always going to be at level 20 or whatever your level is. It might not have... That was a great... That's a great innovation just that you bring yeah. up. I think that was one of the best innovations. There's lots of innovations here. I really liked that one. It felt way more intuitive than the Pokemon system of like, hey, the monster that you use gets a little bit more experience, but all your other monsters in your party get some, but then the ones you have in the vault get none, Yeah, right? So it's kind of... Anyway, go ahead. No, I mean, it made switching out monsters so much less painful, you know, and... Yeah, and that, and that's something that I did several times throughout the game, and I was like, when I was getting more used to the types and the advantages, um, you know, I've been playing Pokemon for decades, so I can see when there's a giant hole or weakness on a team, playing a brand new system, you know, I have to get used to that, and so the further I got into the game, I'd be like, oh, you know what, I actually have this giant hole, like this weakness in my team, I need to figure this out. And not being able to have, not having to like go and grind up a new monster to be up to snuff, dude, that felt really great. Um, I love being able to just switch out, switch out um, monsters on the fly, um, and then just other battle mechanics broadly. Um, dude, I loved, I loved the combat system here. Um, I was a little hesitant because it is double battles. So it's two V two almost always. There are some PVE moments. I feel like where there might be three or four that you're battling against, but on your side, there are always two. And, um, the reason why it works so well in this game is because typings can be really synergistic and, um, typings instead of being like super effective or not very effective, they would create a lot of buffs or debuffs. So, for example, yeah. if you use a fire-type move and it hits an ice-type monster, it would convert that into a water-type temporarily. So you have to think, oh, is it really worth it to... Is that a, a debuff that I want? Maybe it is because I'm part, I'm partnered up with somebody who's using a grass-type monster, and they'll be able to add this really devastating debuff to a water-type monster. So it's, I don't know, it was all about buffs and debuffs and being able to work with two monsters with two different types, I felt like really gives you as the player an opportunity to really play with those buff and debuffs with typings rather than just doing like a classic 1v1 matchup. Yeah, a good example I ran into was uh, if you are a metal type for example like you certain or actually let me bring this one up if you're like a ghost it's not called ghost type it's like phantom i can't remember exactly it's like um but you are powered up by elemental type Mm -hmm. cassette beasts like the fire or um i can't remember the other ones but basically if you're fighting an elemental as like a ghost type or what is it phantom what is it jake yeah astral that's what it is if you're an astral type you'll get like a boost uh like an ap boost or i can't remember the other one or um if you are fighting if you're a poison beast and you fight like a metal beast like you'll give like metal tipped weapons to the metal type there's just all these super interesting like combinations that happen 
And I honestly, I needed kind of a spreadsheet going into it because like I couldn't remember all the different combos because there's quite a few. <laughs> that I would say is maybe one of the downsides of these mechanics is because um, that beast is super innovative. And like I said, I loved this combat system. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. But it's great. It takes a lot of brain power to get used to it um, because it is quite different than other monster catching uh, games and uh, super impactful. I mean, you can turn the tide of a battle really quickly or you can get screwed really quickly if you're not really paying attention to uh, type advantages and disadvantages. And I felt like... um, I don't, I don't know what would be the solution there necessarily, but man, I had to dump a lot of information from Pokemon and other games that I have played to learn the logic of the, of the combat mechanics here. Once I did, fantastic, but it was a lot of work. I feel like you had you almost have to have a website open that has all the synergies on it. I wish that type of stuff was built. Maybe that's the one innovation that they didn't have here, which would be awesome is like, once you the game tells you when a synergy is happening so it's yeah. not like it's trying to hide it from you or make you discover it on your own like it's like oh hey this just thing just happened yeah. remember that this happened it'd be awesome if it had there was like a booklet or something or something in the menu that's like hey here's all the synergies and buffs and debuffs yeah uh, but i digress i think good system great innovation and then the big shtick here uh that i think is the big sort of marketing hook if you will for the game is the ability to fuse Mm -hmm. two monsters together yeah um and so if when you build up and i don't even know how the system honestly works you might have to explain this mechanic but if you build up some meter i don't know if it's behind the scenes or if it's in front of the scenes but if you build up some meter you can fuse the two monsters that you have there and then it makes a combination of that monster that gives you the move sets from both of them and then the type sets from both Mm -hmm. of them and their their big claim right is that um and we talked about we talked about this with them in our interview is there's literally thousands of different combinations when you mm-hmm. have all the monsters because you can combine any two monsters together um yeah dude that was it a- so it's crazy yeah and and when you do the combination it feels super awesome you mm-hmm. feel super powerful and especially if you get a combination that happens to work and synergize against you know, the people that you're fighting in an interesting way, it just, it, it feels really good. Yeah. The fusion mechanic, I agree with you felt really cool. Um, I would use it sometimes. Yeah. Just when like, um, when battling an archangel, for example, I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's throw down dude. Let's, because you get massive, like attack boost, your health is boosted, like all this stuff. You get all these awesome things. Um, yeah, that fusion meter, like when you're allowed to perform the fusion, um, it can it can be inf- it can be impacted by several different factors, which I thought was really cool. Some of them outside of battles, and some of them inside of battles. Um, so I, I learned this probably too late into the game. This game has a, a lot of mechanics, and we're not even going to touch all of them. But uh, yeah, I learned this pretty late into the game that there are things that I could do outside of battle to sort of speed up the process of getting a fusion meter just different things that I can tweak, different items that I could use. Um, but yeah, the fusion is definitely one of the the cool things. And like you're saying, one of the selling points for sure. Um, I think there was only one scenario I encountered where um, I realized that I had fused two monsters and it was actually going to give my opponent an advantage <laughs> because of the way that the typings work. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm screwed. And so I would, I you can unfuse them. And so I unfused them in that moment, and I was able to beat that battle. Um, so grateful that that's an option. But, yeah, you've really got to pay attention to what's happening. And, and like you said, Cameron, like, it shows you, like, a tip when you encounter a new type of, like, debuff or buffing scenario. And I was running into those all the way up until the late game. Like I hadn't hit all of the tutorial tips within the first few hours of the game. And I think that just sort of speaks to the wild breadth and depth of mechanics that are here with the typing. Um, This is way more than uh, pretty much than most games within the genre that I've ever played. But the thing is, is um, you could come up with some really fantastic combos and you also had to prepare against some pretty wild um, combos that enemies would throw at you as well. 
I was always thinking in a battle. I can never play a battle mindlessly, which to me was a pro of this game. Um, I think maybe for some people who are playing this, that would be a disadvantage. Maybe you want to just sit back and be able to, you know, crush everybody with Charizard. This isn't that game, <laughs> you know? You no. can't just over-level to your, your Charizard to level 100 and just sweep the entire game. Here, you really had to be thinking and engaging with the combat mechanics, which I think is a fantastic thing. As somewhat of a tactics connoisseur, Jake, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> uh, I really like this. Yeah, no, that's all I had to say. Um, yeah, it's funny. I really love tactics games, and I'm, like, really bad at them. Um, I kind of, like want someone to pick things for me and then just do the battles. <laughs> uh, Jake, let's go into the gameplay loop. I think we talked a little bit about this. Um, uh, we could do this pretty quickly. I mean, it's similar format that you basically go around, you have some, your main objective is like, we already mentioned to destroy these. What are they called? Phantom things. Archangels. The Phantom. Archangels. Archangels. Oh my gosh. The terminology in this game is wild. I just, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and then you have the ranger captains, which are essentially, right? Yep. Are they the captains? And they're like sort of the gym leader equivalent uh, where you go around and there's different uh, captains and they have their beasts and you have to fight them. And then obviously the real estate agents uh, like jumping yeah. in and go and fight. Like it's like the team rocket quest. Um, and then it all takes place in, in sort of one square map. And, but you discover you go through the map uh by discovering like different squares it's like a big square grid and then you kind of go through and discover i that's that's sort of the basic gist you if you've played a pokemon game you understand the loop here um there's there's not much new here that some of the things that they've added is they have campsites uh campfires Mm -hmm. where you go and find uh you'll find these in different sections throughout the map and when you stop at one it will heal your party if you spend wood lumber i don't know you pick up lumber you pick up wood i don't know if it's lumber or like sticks or (laughs) yeah firewood basically it's um but anyway you pick those up and you use them to rest your party and then when that happens uh you'll have like basically a campfire and whoever your companions with that'll open up the opportunity for like conversations which will reveal more about the character increase your relationship things like that which was another like cool mechanic but um yeah good good solid gameplay loop like i think uh not too much the game doesn't throw too much at you i really love the size of this game yeah i think it's it's very well sized it doesn't feel too overwhelming it feels like it's like you can handle it you start to run into the archangels immediately like you see them on the map you start to run into the captains immediately uh and then they at we haven't even talked about this but in the overworld you have sort of puzzle solving and mechanics there as well so you can float and you can jump and and there's you know little puzzles to solve that all kind of get wrapped up in the world Mm -hmm. and it's this 2.5 d you know very good looking in my opinion like good looking art style that uh kind of harkens back to the sort of the the pokemon style of old but with a 2.5 d spin yeah yeah i totally agree um yeah, the, the, the art style looks looks great. It definitely reminds me of like for all you Pokemon fans out there, um, I got a lot of like Gen three, Gen Gen four vibes from this game. But um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so this game is not quite a three D Metroidvania. Cameron, you mentioned this. You like get different traversal abilities that you use in the overworld, if you will, of the game. Um, there are some. There, there's some that are much more necessary than others. Um, I think there was one, maybe one of those abilities you can actually do the entire game probably without getting. I won't say what it is, um, just to keep you on your toes. That and it's kind of a late game ability. Um, but, but yeah, you kind of use those to get around the map. Some areas are just so much harder to traverse without some of these abilities. Um, and you unlock the abilities by recording specific monsters on the map. And then you'll sort of get the ability, for example, to swim or to glide. Um, those are the some of the early ones that you you get. Cameron, I'm with you. The, this game map is not big, which is good. And I think um, what's wonderful about this is that it allows you know this the the studio to just add a lot of depth 
to the world that they're making. Um, there are micro dungeons, right? With very light puzzle solving. No dungeon in this game should take you longer than like five or six minutes, I don't think. Um, maybe there's two exceptions to that, but I would consider them micro dungeons with light puzzle solving, which I think is totally fine. Um, the monsters, you see them in the overworld, so you can avoid them if you want to. And um, you just kind of go area by area. The game kind of unlocks counterclockwise as you gather more abilities and you do more side quests and you find more archangels and you find more rangers. Um, the three the three main quests, they all coalesce, as you might expect, um, in, in a really nice way, I would say. And then, um, but the one thing I'll mention here is that uh, there are too many categories for side quests. Like, <laughs> yeah, there there are um, main quests and then rumors and then side quests. And I think there's like a whole other category that I probably ignored. Um, and so for me, my little pea brain, sometimes I was like, wait, okay, is this rumor actually related to a main quest? And it turns out, oh, it is. This rumor is actually a hint in order to complete a main quest. Um, so part of that, which is, I don't know. I, I kind of sometimes I wish it was just a little like, okay, is this required for the main storyline or not? Um, but you essentially go back to Harbor Town, which is the main city. It's really the only hub in the entire game. And you talk to all the NPCs. If they have an exclamation point over their head, then they're going to give you information or which is basically a hint about something else you can do in the world. And so I actually like the system of quest giving because it was all gossip, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny, but it was a good way to utilize um, Harbor, T- Harbor Town as like a main hub. That's where like all the main vendors of the game are. Um, you can go back there and heal up for free. That's like where your home base was. That's where you would switch out companions. You can fast travel to it super easily. And uh, from there, you just kind of go out into the world. So this is kind of the gameplay loop for me is, oh, there's a rumor that there's an archangel over here. Let me go back to Harbor Town, gear up, go get maybe get some more information from a rumor, head to the area, investigate, battle, battle some random, you know, people out in the wild. And then, oh, I discovered, okay, here's the entrance to the micro dungeon, complete the micro dungeon complete the archangel or whatever the other main quest is and then rinse and repeat and it worked really great there's a lot of like main quest things to do but none of them ever felt like they took too much of my time and i never felt really stumped so there was good pacing there yeah i agree 100 percent. great size of the game um a solid loop i think there's enough like intrigue and connection in the story yeah it just it doesn't feel like it wastes your time yeah i never I, felt I like just my really time appreciated. Was well jake let's dive into the impact on the industry where do you think uh cassette beasts what do you think this does in terms of the industry conversation where do you think this this ends up falling in the conversation around the monster hunter genre obviously we have stuff like cassette beasts we have temtem we have obviously you know pokemon is continuing to pump out game after game after game where does this one fall in that conversation i think i'm gonna pat myself on the back real quick go back to our pokemon sword and shield episode this is from forever (laughs) ago and i say in there that the pokemon company is going to get its reckoning with a bunch of indie games that are going to come out and they're going to outshine pokemon at their own game and i think cassette beasts is um, a product of that i think cassette beasts you mentioned temtem Monster Sanctuary, you know, you have all these really great games coming from the indie scene that are taking on the monster catching genre. Coromon is another wonderful example as well. Um, And I think what Cassette Beast really does, and I think if you go to Metacritic, it's still sitting at like a 90 or something wild. It's crazy high, yeah. It's super high, right? Um, At least that's what it was when it launched. And it's on Game Pass. And and it's on Game Pass, right? It's on Switch as well. but I think Cassette Beast, what it does probably best out of all these other monster catching games coming from, from the indie the indie side of things, is it, it writes a really fantastic narrative. The narrative is super solid. The writing... Yeah, great writing. Really great writing. Really great memorable 
and likable characters that you will respond to emotionally, whether that be you hate them or you love them. They're just well-written characters. And so I really hope that people are taking notes on like, okay. Great um, character, uh, like the caricature. I can't, what do you call them? Characterization. Like the character art design. Uh, oh, the just the, like the portraits, the character portraits. Yes, the portraits. Fantastic portrait oh. art. Amazing. Dude, the portrait yeah. art here is fantastic. Yeah, lots of good artists yeah. on this team. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd say. Impact on the industry. Um, first and foremost, that kind of writing, the, especially the writing of those NPCs. And then uh, secondly, I would say is, man, Benton Studio went all out trying to reinvent the combat system based around monsters with different types. They pulled it off. And um, for somebody like me, it was really hard to think of how do you create a game within the monster catching genre that is different enough from Pokemon's type advantage and disadvantage formula. That is hard to do. That is really hard to do. And I think Bitten Studio actually pulled it off and they pulled it off with flying colors, um, which I think just kind of raises the bar for anybody else who's making a game like this is how do you shake up the, that type advantage when it comes to monster battling? And just to reiterate, what they do in Cassette Beasts is that they base it around buffs and debuffs. And that is going to be monumental to how you change the tide of a battle is who's buffed and who's debuffed and how. Yeah, I, I certainly hope people are paying attention. I, I don't know what kind of numbers this is doing on Game Pass. I hope it's doing really well. It is it is pretty niche, right? I don't like it. I think it markets fairly well. Like if you do stop and watch a trailer and or look at the screenshot, I do. I mean, it looks like a like a cool Pokemon game, right? So yeah. I I hope that that is drawing people in and then they stick around when they see the combat. I thought the monster design and stuff was really cool. I don't know if it holds a candle to Pokemon, right? Because that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Like the Pokemon design or the monster design in Pokemon is is sort of second to none you can't yeah. really beat that right i think temtem is like pretty close but even they kind of fall short mm-hmm. here you have the interesting idea where instead of being based on sort of wildlife it's sort of more uh it's sort of a combination of wildlife and and other thing like you have a bullet yeah <laughs> uh cassette beast which is <laughs> it's a bullet uh it's a straight up a bullet which super creative right but is that like endearing is that cute there's there's this cuteness factor yeah. that makes stuff go big and go viral, right? Which I want to I kind of want to see a sequel, honestly. Mm, yeah, I, I kind of want to see a sequel. I think they're so close to greatness. They're really close to greatness. There are elements in this game that are just wildly better, in my opinion, than what Pokemon has done, especially in terms of the narrative, uh, in terms of the innovations in the combat system, uh, and, and those two things specifically. I think. On the other fronts, super, super close. But the fact this is done by a two-person team is just astounding, right? Um, It's just absolutely incredible. So I hope this does really well for them, and I hope we get a chance to see either an evolution of this or whatever they're going to do next. I hope – my big hope for the industry impact in this section of games is that people continue to make Monster Hunter-style games. Not Monster Hunter, but – sorry – catch them monster catching games yeah. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. the people continue to do that because somebody and this these are just the beginning right somebody is going to challenge to your point somebody is going to challenge pokemon at some point if people continue to do yeah. it somebody it's going to happen uh it hasn't quite happened yet but man they're getting so close all these games are yeah. really 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 solid and yeah. really good and it's just going to take one to kind of blow up a little bit uh, which is what you hope for, because when there's competition, then that pushes Pokemon to get better. And I do think that Pokemon needs to get better. I, I 100% agree with you. I don't think we're, we haven't quite found Pokemon's contender, right? But Cassette Beast's proof is that we're getting close. Like, we're getting closer and closer. I would say probably Temtem and Cassette Beast are doing... And don't get me wrong, I love all the other monster catching games, and I don't want to discount them. But those are the two that, for me, that are really starting to challenge pokemon top of the heap um and then uh to your point though this is this is my final thought here to your point though about monster design i thought the monster design in cassette beast was fine 
and you're you're right though. Pokemon manages in you you all might disagree with me, but hear me out. Pokemon manages to balance cute factor and fierce factor. Listen, Charizard is fierce, but there there's something crazy endearing about Charizard in addition oh, to his absolutely. fierceness. Yeah. And to be able to strike that type of balance in the Super majority <laughs> of Pokemon's, you know, creatures that they've created is astounding. And I think that that is extremely difficult to do. It is extremely difficult to... I'm going to swap out cute for endearing now because I think that's a better word. Like ferocity and like the endearing nature of Pokemon simultaneously. Um, this is a Pokemon that's super cool looking, but you also want to give them a big hug, right? How do you do that? And I hate to say this. I hate to say this because I'm not going to play this game. I hope. I probably will, but I'm not going to. Is that dumb oh. pow world Pokemon with guns? <laughs> Dude, they might have done that though. They might be able to balance endearing and ferocity. Take out the guns. I mean, they straight up or just look like Pokemon. Though. I mean, yeah, they they, they maybe just went through Pokemon's trash bin and <laughs> took everything out that didn't make it into the. They game. made like slight tweaks to the most iconic designs. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but but anyway, yeah, with cassette beasts, I think um, there's a bit of unevenness there. There are some of the monsters that I really really loved, and I think that hit that like really endearing side, and some of them that just um, didn't quite do that for me. Well, Jake, with that, this has been another episode of the Pre-Order Bonus Podcast, talking Cassette Beast from Bitten Studios. This is out now on Steam. It's on Game Pass for PC and console uh, and has a cross-save. Just as an added benefit there, So, yes. which is amazing. Uh, go check this out. This is definitely worth checking out, especially if you like monster catching games or if you're a Pokemon fan and you're looking for, I don't know, something to hold you over till the next Scarlet and Violet DLC, or you're kind of looking for something fresh, or even if you're not, uh, I think even like the narrative and the sort of strategy tactics gameplay here is, is definitely worth your time. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the better indie games that I've played, uh, in a while. So go check it out. Uh, you can find more from us on, uh, patreon.com slash periodercast you've got more episodes we've got articles going up on game picks of the week we've got jake's indie impressions uh we've got extended editions of these episodes we've got early access to our regular episodes you can find all that on our patreon patreon.com slash periodercast at our digital deluxe edition five dollar tier you can sign up there um you can find us on twitter at periodercast and one thing if you if you like the podcast if you like the show leave us a review on your podcast service of choice that helps people more people find the show as we continue to grow and talk about video games and jake there are so many dang video games to talk about <laughs> we are at the precipice of a deluge yes of literally dozens of games i don't know how we're gonna have time to play all these but we're gonna play a heck of a lot of them and talk about them on this show so stick around uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening and have a great night.